Happy Holidays from the DSR Network. We are deeply appreciative of our members and the year that we've had. To celebrate the holiday season, we are offering a 50% discount on either your first month or first year of membership. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the members-only Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of December, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month or for the first year. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSRHOLIDAY at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSRHOLIDAY. Thank you very much for your support. Hello and welcome to the DSR Daily. I'm one of your co-hosts, David Rothkopf, joined by your other co-host, because that's how co-hosting works. One of them's Chris Cottmore. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing well, thank you. Excellent. The other one is Riley Fessler. How are you, Riley? Doing pretty well. What's the top story for today on your list, Chris? So COP28 is coming to an end uh, tomorrow, and there are two um, issues still needing to be resolved, the biggest of which is how to phase out or whether to phase out fossil fuels. Um, I don't, in following this and listening to our own experts, I think that's a tall order to come away with um, where an oil producing nation is hosting these talks and we're talking about phasing out fossil fuels. I think there'll be a framework um, but I don't actually think they'll come to a consensus on what they're going to do um, about fossil fuels. We're still too dependent, um, whether it be automobiles or heating or cooling our, our homes or any number of other things. Um, it's definitely a development to watch. It's a key, I think, um, area that needs to be addressed in addition to loss and damage fund, which at least we're making a little bit of progress on, though. I think the funds committed are still uh, fairly low, somewhere around $700 million. Um, but yeah, in the next day, we'll see what happens with fossil fuels and what comes out of that. Yeah, we probably won't get there this time around. Um, and, uh, you know, we do encourage you to go back and listen to the Road to COP28 discussions among our experts, many of whom hold the view that the whole purpose of this effort is ultimately to phase out fossil fuels because fossil fuels are what caused the climate crisis. And there are a lot of affordable options that exist right now. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, you should listen to these uh, perspectives. There are other experts out there, including uh, some of the, the chairs of some of the discussions that we've had who hold the view that, um, uh, it's better to find ways to, uh, at least in the interim, reduce the negative consequences of the use of fossil fuels, such as carbon capture and uh, so forth, and that we should take this in uh, steps. Um, David Sandalow is one expert who believes the latter. He chaired one of our discussions. Michael Mann, uh, several of the others uh, who participated in our discussion, believe the former. Uh, we encourage you to listen to these discussions, and we'll have some more follow-up discussions on what comes out of this uh, after uh, uh, 
after COP has wrapped up tomorrow. Uh, but you're right to put it at the top of the list. Saving the climate uh, has got to be seen as the top shared story of everybody in the world. Riley? So some fallout from last week's uh, congressional testimony. Uh, for those of you that missed it, three university presidents uh, testified in a congressional hearing about anti-Semitism on college campuses. Um, and all three really kind of drew the ire of social media and members of Congress and others for not um, explicitly saying that calls for genocide against Jews would violate this, their school's code of conduct. Kind of one of the, the main figures in this that drew the most flack from what I've seen was the University of Pennsylvania president, Liz McGill, who announced her resignation over the weekend. Um, this was a result of intense pressure from donors, alumni, and the governor of the state. Um, the, the clip of her that uh, was really making the rounds on Twitter was when she uh, refused to really say that calls in and of themselves would violate the code of conduct. It would have to be accompanied with some kind of action. Um, so yeah, she did resign. The governor of the state called her comments absolutely shameful. But interestingly, one of the other presidents, the president of MIT, actually received full endorsements from their board after the testimony. So definitely different reactions from the universities, but curious your thoughts. Curious of my thoughts. Why, Riley, you haven't gone out and read the Daily Beast today and read my column in the Daily Beast today, which is about this very subject, um, which says that um, canceling university presidents is not going to help us fight anti-Semitism. I think it's uh, uh, shameful that, that the president of the University of Pennsylvania has had to resign. I think the response of all of the presidents, which is that context matters, may not have been politically popular, but is absolutely true. Context does matter. Um, and uh, I think that this is a very uncomfortable step towards letting the mob or donors or big political folks, you know, dictate what is acceptable or unacceptable academic discourse. Um, there were no mobs, by the way, calling for genocide. Um, there were mobs, there were large groups of people who were um, uh, uh, protesting uh, the government of Israel. Uh, that's not anti-Semitic. There were large groups of people protesting for a Palestinian state. That is not in and of itself anti-Semitic. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's important that you understand what people are and you need to have uh, open discourse on college campuses. I think one thing that needs to be said is that a number of the people behind uh, this condemnation um, are, you know, people on the Republican right uh, who themselves have promoted ideas like great replacement theory um, and other forms of, uh, 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 you know, hate speech. Um, and they just want to be able to pick and choose between the kind of hate speech they like and the kind of hate speech they don't like. Uh, and uh, if we move further and further down this road, it will only support the authoritarian drift in this country. Uh, I know that's not a particularly popular view, but look, you don't pay us to take the, make the easy calls. This is my view, and uh, uh, read the article and, and come to your own conclusions. Chris? 
On Friday, the economics data came out. Uh, jobs report um, was better than expected with 199,000 jobs added. Uh, the expectation was 180,000 jobs and unemployment fell to 3.7%. And while all this seems like good news, and including uh, Fox News host uh, Maria Bartiromo having to kind of grit her teeth through reporting that, um, public sentiment says otherwise, where uh, people are not necessarily feeling what the jobs report um, and unemployment rates are um, are indicating. And, you know, I, I, I had this question uh, about a week and a half ago or a couple weeks ago when Simon was on our show. I just listened to um, a podcast on this very topic. I think probably the American public um, is feeling the weight of uh, increases in, for example, housing costs or buying cars because the interest rates are higher uh, with the Fed uh, continuing to try to rein in inflation. Um, but, but you know, this, this is uh, an issue that the Republicans will seize on. They'll not tout the great uh, work that the administration has done on the economy. Uh, they'll instead focus on public sentiment. But obviously, public sentiment is important because we're voting in the election um, in just 11 months. Uh, look, there have been some other polls that have shown people have started to come around unrecognizing what's been going on in the economy. I think what's going on in the economy is nothing short of miraculous 14 million jobs created, uh, 5% growth in the last uh, quarter, um, uh, inflation uh, slowing down uh, towards our target, uh, which is 2%. It's down around 3% now. Uh, all of this without a recession, um, without a hard landing, uh, uh, while simultaneously producing massive investment in all sorts of areas that will fuel future American competitiveness, like infrastructure, um, uh, like uh, the tech sector, uh, like the green energy sector. So, uh, you know, the, 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 those economic stories are universally good. Prices are down 66% over, over, over their peak. Um, uh, and the question is, you know, when it, you know, hits home for voters. Uh, but we're a year away from the election. It's going to hit home increasingly for voters. Uh, that's going to cut to the benefit of the president. That was the argument Simon Rosenberg made in our podcast uh, recently. Um, and I think it's right. Riley? Pretty big news for India. Um, the Indian Supreme Court upheld a decision by the government to revoke special status for the state of Jammu and Kashmir. Um, so this was a decision made in 2019 by Modi's government and has been challenged in court and over the weekend was ruled that it would be upheld unanimously. Um, so the region has had pretty significant autonomy for over 70 years under a constitutional article, but the Modi government decided to revoke that in a move that a lot of critics say is kind of an effort to appease Hindu voters given that the region is the only Muslim-majority region in India. Um, so the region had the autonomy to make laws in all matters except for finance, defense, foreign affairs, and communications, so quite a bit of autonomy there. But under this uh, revocation of their st special status, they will have to hold local elections by September 30th of next year. 
So I'm really curious to see kind of what the fallout of this is. Obviously, that region is a heavily contested one between Pakistan and India. So I'm curious how this more firm integration into India will affect relations. Uh, yeah, and whether it's necessarily a positive thing, the Modi government has uh, been a Hindu nationalist uh, movement, part of at the head of a Hindu nationalist movement, um, and uh, is seeking to increase its influence. Uh, and uh, you know, I I, I, I view uh, developments uh, like this with a degree of skepticism, as I do almost anything that has to do with the Modi government. I think that's only. Uh, sensible. We'll have to watch carefully and see how this evolves. Chris? Newly elected Argentine president, uh, far-right president, Javier Malay, um, has essentially pledged shock treatment uh, to address their economic woes, uh, which include high inflation and high prices, along with um, high poverty rates. Um Shock treatment in this case seems to be referring to uh, deep cuts that will come um, in their governments and in their budgets after what he calls decades of decadence. Um, He's drawing comparisons to uh, a former president of the United States, um, Donald Trump, among others. Um, We'll we'll see. This is a you know a country. You know that has a lot wrong with it. Um, I'm not sure uh, the newly elected president is the right solution, um, but we'll we'll see what happens over uh, the course of the next several months in Argentina. It's not the right solution. Sorry, it's just not. Uh, there's a long history of uh, shock therapy. Uh, it hurts the poorest. Uh, it um, helps help some banks, may help the overall uh, top line of the economy. It's not the only approach. Uh, And uh, in past circumstances where it's been applied, uh, the long-term consequences have not been uh, desirable. Um, uh, It was uh, an approach that was used a long time ago in Argentina following the uh, debt crises of the 80s. Um, uh, but it was at the time, um, uh, a different circumstance. It was managed in a different, uh, kind of way. Uh, and it became part of what ultimately was known as the Washington consensus, an approach that has, uh, in the long run, uh, stabilized some economies, but enriched the people at the top not had as great benefits for people throughout the economies. Riley? Well, some good news to round out the morning. Um, The FDA approved two gene therapy treatments for sickle cell disease, but also uh, one of these treatments is the first to be approved using uh, CRISPR gene editing technology. Um, So both treatments here are a pretty major step for those suffering from the disease, um, which is a genetic disease that has kind of gone overlooked for the most part, um, but it can cause excruciating pain and cut decades off of people's lifespans. So both of these treatments are definitely a great step. Um, however, they're both really why intensive it, procedures. Why has it been overlooked, Riley? Well, it primarily affects those of African descent, which I would imagine is probably the main reason That's it's been overlooked. That's the main reason, exactly. 
that also plays into why that although these are great breakthroughs, there's a bit of a kind of asterisk there, which is they're both still very intensive procedures that will kind of be difficult to reach a wide range of patients. Um, the CRISPR-based treatments uh, requires a process of extracting bone marrow cells, send them to a laboratory to be edited via CRISPR, and then infused back into the patient after they receive chemotherapy to make room for the cells. So it's a great uh, breakthrough, especially given that we have the first CRISPR-based treatment to be approved. Hopefully more will follow, but there's still a long way to go in making these treatments kind of available to the masses. I think that's absolutely right. It's a first step. It's not going to be easy at this particular step, but the ability to actually go in, uh, take out bad genes, put in good genes, uh, fix a problem that's genetic uh, in people is huge, huge. Uh, and future generations of people will be much healthier and probably, let's just face it, Chris and Riley, better looking than us, taller, stronger, uh, uh, able to do a lot of things better because there's going to be able to be a little bit more manipulation of of their gene pools. Uh, and, you know, as we approach this holiday season and we all go to visit our families, it's going to be very clear to all of us how important it is to modify our gene pools. Uh, in any event, uh, I, uh, uh, I think that uh, this gets us off to the day with it with a good start. Um, uh, we've got a spy show podcast coming up. We've got a special podcast that'll come out later today, which is going to be a conversation that we have with national security advisor, Jake Sullivan. I know we'll be talking about the fact that president Zelensky is going to be coming to Washington tomorrow. Uh, and that that is really important to the effort to get funding for Ukraine. Uh, and that Jake Sullivan will also be going to the Middle East at the end of this week. Um, uh, he will be going to Israel. Uh, clearly, we are at a critical point in that war. Um, and uh, fighting is intensifying uh, in the South. Uh, civilian casualties have passed 18,000. Uh, and uh, uh, clearly there is some significant tension between the Biden administration and the Netanyahu administration. Uh, and he'll talk about that. So I direct your attention to that when it hits the air. Uh, I don't know, sometime tonight. Uh, until then, thanks, Riley. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a good day. Uh, oh, and one last thing. Here in Washington, there's snow on the ground. What the F is that about? I mean, seriously, isn't it like June? What time is it? What day is it? Oh, no, I guess it's December. But it's still weird. First uh, morning where I woke up, looked out the window, and there was the white stuff out there. Anyway, bye-bye, folks.